Okay. All right. So this morning we're gonna gonna kind of pick up sort of where we where we've with what we've been talking about the last few weeks. You know, we studied one lesson. Uh, it was just an introduction to the Holy Spirit and some of the work that He does for us. And one of the things we talked about He does for us is uh, He illuminates Scripture to us. And then after that, we started talking more about Scripture itself, the Bible. Uh, we talked had one lesson we we called uh, Sola Scriptura. And it just presented the scriptures as our sole authoritative source for all the information we need for matters of uh, faith and practice. And it is all we need. We don't need other books in, a, in addition to this one. And we don't need the traditions of people. We don't need uh, things that a pope tells us or some other supreme high potentate that, that tells us how to do things. The scripture tells us what we need. And then there was a lesson on the inspiration of scripture. And I think Charles Ryrie um, captured that best when he said uh, the inspiration of Scripture meant that uh, it was God's superintending of human authors so that using their own individual personalities they composed and recorded without error in the words of the original autographs his revelation to man and I like that I like that that's very succinct God did use these men to write the scriptures but he used their their figures of speech and their vocabulary and um, their experiences. Uh, everybody's got different illustrations. You know, that somebody that grew up working in a coal mine, they've got certain illustrations that I would never think of, and it would never occurred to me. We had a pastor one time that grew up in a West Virginia coal mining town, and so he could he could draw references to that. I grew up on a farm not far from here, and other people grew up in different things. Well, the, the people who wrote scripture, they all had different backgrounds, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit, used those things to uh, help them write, and he inspired their words. Last week, uh, the lesson was about inerrancy and and, uh, inerrancy and infallibility. I wrote it wrong in here in my notes. Scripture, what that tells us is Scripture does not or did not contain errors when it was written, but more than that, it could not contain errors because the Holy Spirit was superimposing, superintending the work of these men, so it wasn't even possible for them to put errors in the, into the scriptures. And the gist of that is uh, the Bible is inerrant because it's infallible. It's infallible because it's inspired by God himself. And so we, it all comes back to that. God is the author of these words. They're not just human words. It's not just creative writing uh, that people, uh, intelligent people or whatever, wrote. It, these are the words of God, and so we can, we can count on those. Well, today we want to take it a little bit further. We're going to look again into uh, at the word itself, but I want us to look at some, uh, for lack of a better term, some symbolic terms that the scriptures use to describe themselves. And these are these are just very common words, uh, words that mean something to us, and it helps us to to see how the the word of God relates to us in our lives. It's just very common uh, terms, and it's not an exhaustive list. There's nine of them that I want us to take a look at, but there's a lot more. Uh, just analogies that the scripture draws to itself and before we do that let's pray Father thank you for allowing us again to be in your house it's a beautiful uh, Sunday morning and we thank you for that we thank you for rain that we received last night we thank you Lord that you protected us from uh, some uh, some of the storm damage that could have been possible there was some uh, pretty severe weather that went through the area last night so we thank you for that we thank you for health and strength allowing us to be here we thank you for a desire to be in your house we believe you give us that desire, Father. And as we look into your word this morning, we, we desire the Holy Spirit to, to move among us and to open our hearts to see things maybe that we've not seen before. 
but certainly to remind us of things that we have seen before, to bring, to keep those things in our remembrance. We pray that everything that is said and done in this place today would be for the honor and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we ask it in His name. Amen. So the first um, symbol we're going to look at this morning is uh, a mirror. Scripture refers to itself as being a mirror. And we're going to, if you've got your Bibles, turn here. Robin's going to love this. James chapter 1. Robin sometimes says, whatever you do, don't look in the book of James. Those bad things happen when you start studying the book of James. And we both had this happen in our lives. (laughs) We had a Bible study at work one time, and I joined it. And we started a, a study on the book of James, and within a matter of weeks, I was laid off. Robin started in a, into a study of James one time, and you know it tells us to, to count it all joy when you fall into these messes and everything. And it, it was like things just blew up. So she says, yeah, let's don't go there. Let's go to Philippians. It's a happy place. You know. This morning, we're going to look in James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. I'm going to read some verses here. It says, um, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That's a very colorful sounding phrase. It, it, it kind of means a surplus of badness. Set that stuff aside. Get it out of your life. So verse 21 again. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. That term glass, it means looking glass. That's another old way of looking at it. It means a mirror. So verse 23, if any man, or if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a mirror, essentially. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. We see in verse 19 there, uh, we're being told, be swift to hear. Hear what? What we're studying, what we're talking about, God's message, the scriptures. Be swift to hear those. Be a little bit slower to respond, very slow to wrath and those kind of things, but be quick to hear what the Word of God says. And in verse 21, he says, after you've heard that, lay apart, get rid of those things, uh, that would, uh, that, that filthiness, that uh, sinfulness that might be in your life, that superfluity of naughtiness, get rid of those things. And because that's what the Scripture is teaching us, isn't it, when we read it, when we study it. It's showing us what's wrong so that we can correct it. In verse 22, he said, be doers of the Word. In other words, do what's right as you read through the Scriptures. And then verses 23 and 24, they give us that imagery of uh, Scripture as a glass or of a mirror. And what does a mirror do? We go in and you look in a mirror. What does it show you? If I look in a mirror, it does not show me Rhonda, does it? If Kevin looks in a mirror, it doesn't show him Lawrence. Right? It shows us ourselves, doesn't it? And if we pay attention, it will show us exactly what we look like. And that's what he's getting the point here is... God's Word is like a mirror. When we look in it, if we pay attention to it, it shows us who we really are. And it points out to us things that are wrong in our lives. And that's what He's telling us to do. So it's very uh, very clear imagery, isn't it? When the Scripture, it could say, well, this is, a, this is a doctrinal diatribe that will help you 
to see all of the theological errors in your life and all of blah, 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 blah. But he, it, it, he doesn't do that. He says, Scripture is like a mirror. It's like when you look into the Word of God, it's like a mirror. And it's going to show you. It's going to reflect what you really are. And so uh, he gives that imagery here. And often when, when we look in a mirror, or when we, even when we look into the mirror, so to speak, of the Word of God, there's three common errors that we can make. One of them is just to make a, a quick glance in passing. That can be a, a fatal thing. If you're, if you're getting ready to leave the house and you got an important meeting or, or you're going to meet somebody for lunch or whatever, and you just do a quick glance in the mirror and you go out and you miss the fact uh, a lady that uh, maybe her mascara is going up the, up the side of her head here or her lipstick is kind of it's run down here or a guy misses the fact I, I don't know I've done this before I don't know how other many other people do it you go to shave and you, you nick yourself and maybe put a piece of tissue there and you glance in the mirror and, and you head out the door and your wife stops you and says whoa 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 you can't, you can't leave the house looking like that you got to get that off or your tie is, is wrong or, or your collar slipped up whatever if we look close enough in the mirror, we'll see those things. But if we just do a quick glance, we're not going to see it. So that's, that's one common mistake we can make, uh, looking in the mirror without a, a serious examination. Second one is forgetting what we saw. You glance in the mirror, you see something, and, but you're in a hurry. And you, and you realize that your buttons, you, you buttoned your shirt, but you had a mismatch. And so there's a button up here that doesn't have a buttonhole that matches it. And other people are going to see that right away and say, what happened there, right? But if we glance in a mirror and we're too quick and we just go on, we forget what we saw and we don't correct it. That's a second mistake. A third mistake is a failure, just an outright failure to see or, or to, to correct what we saw. Now that would be a fatal, uh, well not fatal, but you know, it would be a serious flaw. If you looked in the mirror and you saw you had a problem, you saw that you're, you're going to an important meeting and you forgot to comb your hair. Or you forgot. This one's a little, a little grosser. You you notice that you had some broccoli between two of your front teeth, right? But you didn't do anything about it. That, that's a serious flaw, isn't it? Well, that, those are the kinds of flaws that we make. The, the Scripture, it, it acts like a mirror to show us ourselves. But if we just do a quick look at it, um, it it's easy sometimes. Um, to, I'll, I'll sidetrack just a minute. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had this. Uh, maybe you've got a goal. I want to read through the entire Bible this year. And if you're not careful, you can get to a thing where well, if I read three chapters a day and five chapters on Sunday, I'll get through the whole Scripture in a year. So you can get into this rut where you just read your three chapters real quick and then you move on. That's some of the one who that's like taking just a quick look in the mirror and then being on your way. And you're not paying attention to what it's telling you because it's going gonna, it's gonna to point out if there's something wrong, if we take that long gazing look into it. And so uh, that's a flaw, isn't it? Or if we, if we read through it and then we get preoccupied, I saw something in Scripture this morning, I, I need to deal with that in my life. I need to pray about that. I need to get the Holy Spirit to correct that in my life. And then you move on and you forget about it. Till the next time you read that passage and think, I saw that, I need to do something about that. That's a flaw. Or if we, if we just fail outright to obey what the Scriptures tell us. We saw, maybe we do look long and heart into the mirror of the scripture and it, it reflects back to us what God's will is and what we ought to do and yet we don't do anything about it and we, we just keep going the way we were those are serious flaws verse 25 tells us whoso looketh it says into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein 
he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The idea is, when we look into the mirror of Scripture, we look long. We, we need to look consistently. We need to look examining very carefully what we see there. Just like someone who's trying to make a first impression looks in a mirror and says, I've got to make sure there's nothing wrong. Because I've only got one chance to make a first impression for this meeting and I don't want it to go bad. And so if I've got a shirt on that has a spaghetti stain right here, maybe I want to change that before I leave. You know, that's the idea. He says, if whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, continues to look at it to see what it has for him, he's the one who's going to, uh, to be blessed. Scripture calls it uh, then uh, itself a mirror because it shows us our true condition when we look into it. And beyond that, it shows us God's mind toward us. And it shows us His corrective actions that He needs us to take. So, I think that's a good uh, symbol or a good uh, illustration of God's Word, don't you? It's a mirror. A second one we can look at is in Matthew 13. So we'll get out of the book of James before any harm comes to us, right? Matthew 13. And I do say that jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, because there is a lot of good information in the book of James. So it is a very good epistle. The second uh, thing we're going to look at, and Scripture refers to itself as a seed. Here in Matthew 13, we see Jesus, he gave a, what we refer to as the parable of the sower. And the sower went out and he sowed seeds. And some of them fell, we're told, uh, by the wayside. Some fell on stony places. Some fell among thorns. And then some fell in good ground. And he gave that parable, but... Uh, not everyone understood it. So when we get down to uh, verse 19, verse 18, I guess, um, he starts to explain it. So we'll start reading there in verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word and anon with joy receiveth it, Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he's offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth seed into good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So uh, Jesus is explaining the, the parable, and he, he's, uh, what we see here is the seed is the word of God. The sower is going out. It's someone witnessing. Uh, it could be a preacher. It could be an evangelist. It could be any one of us going out, and we're sharing the word of God with people. And so it is sown among people. Uh, the, the 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 idea here is. Uh, the Lord doesn't tell us to only go to certain people with the Word of God. The sower went out and he, he strewed the seed. He threw it out everywhere. So it, it hit, some of it hit stony ground. Some of it hit, went by the wayside, maybe fell in the road. And some fell in, in very shallow soil where it couldn't take root. Some of it fell in really good soil. And so that's the, the example for us as we share the gospel. We share it with everyone that we can. It's the Holy Spirit's job to, to see who the, which hearts are ready for it. But we're not to make that distinction. It, it would be bad if we, we had that choice because we could very easily say, I don't like the way that person looks. I don't want to share the gospel with them. They don't, they don't think like I do. They're from a different place, the other side of the tracks, or whatever the, the instance might be. 
But the sower doesn't, he's not thinking about that. His job is to sow the seed. So scripture is, is referred to that way. And um, why? We ask ourselves, why is it called a seed? Because when it's uh, sown in the soil of a human heart, <clears throat> it's been prepared by the Holy Spirit, some things happen. And we know this, if you've ever done gardening, you know what happens when seeds fall into, uh, into good soil, don't we? Good, moist, rich, loosened soil. What happens? First, first thing that happens, it sprouts into new life, doesn't it? When the seed sprouts. First Peter 1.23 says, uh, refers to Christians as being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. The word of God is incorruptible seed. It is good seed. I planted seeds before, I planted corn before, and none of it ever come up. Uh, because it's just old seed. Maybe, I, I have no idea why. And I've seen other seeds that have been planted, and they do plant, plant uh, they do come up, but they don't bear any fruit. Nothing, they just, they come up a little ways, and then they just wilt. Or maybe some things will put out beautiful blooms, but you never get any fruit from it. That would, you would, might would call corruptible seed, but the, God's Word is not. Corruptible. It's very. It's incorruptible seed. So it does sprout into new life. So another thing it does, it exhibits steady growth after it sprouts, doesn't it? When you when you plant those good beans in the ground, or you plant, uh, you see where an acorn has fallen, and it's gotten covered up with good soil, and it sprouts, and it's unbelievable how fast an oak tree that is planted that way can grow. You can buy one at Lowe's and grow, and you can watch it grow by inches a year. An acorn that uh, gets uh, sprouts on its own in the woods, it may grow a foot or more a year. It's amazing how, how this happens. And so it, not only does it sprout into life, but the seed it, it exhibits steady growth, and then it bears fruit. That's what he says here. The Word of God bears fruit when it falls into that fertile soil that the Holy Spirit has prepared in the heart of a, of a person. And we know what that fruit is, don't we? Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, all of those things. Those, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what happens when that seed is, is planted in that good ground, and it sprouts, and it grows steadily, and it bears fruit. And so as witnesses for Christ, that's what happens. The seed of God is sown. The Holy Spirit prepares the good ground, and then we see these three, three things happening. And then what happens? someone gets saved, they are that plant that has sprouted, aren't they? They are the ones who grow steadily. They are the ones who bear fruit. And then what happens? The seed gets planted, dropped again, doesn't it? From the one who sprouted from it. And then the cycle starts again. That's what the Lord intended for us to be. And so uh, I think that, again, that's a very apt illustrative word, isn't it? To use To refer to the Word of God as seed. A third one we see is Scripture is also referred to as water in different places. And uh, there's several reasons, I think. One is um, the uh, water, we use it to clean things, don't we? What's what we use to wash? I'm going to read you some verses. You don't have to turn to these. Uh, Psalm 119, and verse 9, it asks the question, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto to, the word, to thy word. The word of God cleanses. Uh, Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It is, isn't it? It's a cleaning agent. Uh, John 15, uh, verse 3 says, Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. 
Scripture refers to itself as water in, place, in, in several places because it has that cleansing ability for us. Another thing that water can do is it can quit, quench thirst, can it? A thirsty soul can be can find itself quenched with the Word of God. Psalm 42, verse 1 says, As a heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. When, when a, a, a soul is thirsty for the Lord, that water, it's like a, it's like a deer just panting. Oh, I'm so thirsty, I need some water. And they go look for it. Well, that's what, that's what happens. We, we need to do the same thing with the Word of God so we can have that, that thirst quenched. Revelation 22.17 says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. God's water is free. It doesn't cost us a thing. It costs Jesus a lot, but it didn't cost us a thing. And it can quench our thirst. A third thing that we can look at, it's a little different than quenching thirst. It refreshes God's people, doesn't it? Uh, water, if you're thirsty, drinking it feels good. But I'll tell you what, if you're really hot and you're really parched, just just putting your hand into a, a, and under some cold running water can refresh you, can't it? Be, uh, jump in when your kids uh, in the summer go jump in a pond or in a, in a creek or a river, swimming pool, whatever, wherever they can buy water. It's refreshing. Psalm 20, uh, not Psalm, Proverbs 25 25 says, As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. What better news do we have from a far country than this right here? It came from a very far country, didn't it? The Lord sent it from heaven. And he gave us his word, and it is. It's refreshing, just like cold waters on a hot day. So, three symbols. A mirror, seed, water, a fourth one. Scripture refers to itself as a lamp. And uh, why? Uh, why would uh, it call itself a lamp? Well, the one is, it shows us where we are. Psalm 119, one, verse 105. This is very familiar. Verse probably to most of us. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It shows us very clearly where we are in a sinful world. And it tries, uh, the, the Word of God does everything it can to, uh, make, to get us out of the darkness and into a place where we can see better, doesn't it? It guides our steps. Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So it guides us. It doesn't just... Uh, show us where we are, but it shows us where we need to go, doesn't it? It guides our, our steps. If you're if you're walking out uh, at night, one thing that comes to mind, uh, you're, you're walking outdoors at night, maybe somebody camping or what have you, you want to take a flashlight with you too, don't you? Uh, you want to know where you are. You want to know where you are in regards to where you need to get back to. And you want to know that that big oak tree, you can see it before it makes contact with your nose, right? Because that can be very uncomfortable. And so that's what the Word of God, it shows us where we are, it guides us, and it keeps us from falling. It, uh, it dispels the darkness, and it reveals to us where the stumbling blocks are. If you're wandering around at light, late at night, you don't want to trip over a tree root either, do you? I, I made a mistake one time. You ever tried to chase a deer, catch one? When I was a kid, I did that one time. It's such a mistake, you can't catch a deer. I thought I was fast. And so I was running after this thing in the woods. I was, I was much, much younger. And I ran across, and that thing jumped over a little branch. His branch was about this wide. I thought, I can make that jump. I can, I can jump across there. So I jumped. I made it. When I made it across, my foot went under a, a tree root that had grown up, and it was kind of loose dirt under it. My foot went under there, and you can imagine where the rest of me did. 
sputum on the ground, right? We want to see those roots, don't we? We want, preferably, we want to uh, we want to go slow enough that we can re respond when we see them. I worked with a guy one time, and one of his favorite expressions was, "Let's slow down and not outrun our headlights." Well, the Word of God is our headlights, and we don't want to outrun those because we can we can bump into some pretty serious things. So the Word of God refers to itself as a lamp. So because it does show us where we are and where we ought to be going. Another good analogy. Uh, a fifth one that we can look at. The Scripture refers to itself as a sword. And uh, for uh, good reason. Uh, a sword has an ability to pierce things. It's sharp. It's a weapon, isn't it? And, and that weapon of God, that uh, ability to, uh, to pierce through things, it's effective for sinners and for saints in much the, the same way. Hebrews 4.15 uh, says the Word of God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God knows. It, it points out what we're thinking, where our minds are going, what, uh, the, the way we're living our life, the way we're approaching things. And it can, it can start to trim away the things that ought not be there, can it? Uh, two verses earlier in that chapter, Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God sees everything about us. He knows everything about us. And He can use the Word of God as that sword to start trimming away that uh, stuff that will not be there. And so uh, it slashes, the, the, we'll say that, the sword of God, it slashes away every, um, every defense that a lost sinner has. Well, I'm not that bad. I'm better than so-and-so over here. Uh, I haven't done anything seriously wrong. Well, the Word of God starts to slash away those things. Those defenses, doesn't it, for a lost person and say, yeah, you have. You are a sinner. You are undone without a Savior. And you don't have any hope. And so it slashes those things away. It leaves them with nothing to left except their, their just blatant guilt. I'm guilty before a holy God. That's the purpose of the Word of God in the, in the heart of a, a lost person. But how about for a Christian? Well, it cuts. As we're looking into the Word of God, it is that sword, and it starts to, to cut away excuses we have too, doesn't it? You know, the, we, there's things that, that the Word of God tells us to do, and we can come up sometimes with all kinds of excuses for not doing this or that. And the Word of God just slices away those excuses, doesn't it? It says, no, nah, they can't do that. This is, this is you. This is, this is where you should be. This is where you are, and this is how you get where you should be. And, it, and so it cuts away even our excuses. But it's also, not only is it effective against lost sinners and against Christians alike, it's also effective against Satan and the, and the demonic forces that we, we fight against. Because in Ephesians 6, when, when the Apostle Paul was writing to the Ephesians and he was telling them, take the whole armor of God, one piece of that armor is referred to as the sword of the Spirit. Uh, verse 23 of Ephesians 6 says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, it's an offensive weapon. When you look at the other weapons that appear in that list, they're defensive. A helmet of salvation, that's to prevent you from injury in battle. A shield of faith, that's to prevent you from being injured. Uh, having um, your feet shod with the gospel of the preparation of peace. Well, having shoes, good pair of shoes in battle, that's a good thing. It protects you, doesn't it? 
And a sword can help protect you too, but that's an offensive weapon. That's for taking the battle into Satan's territory. And that's what the, the Word of God is. And, and when we share it with lost people, those are people who are under Satan's dominion. And we're going to try to rescue them. And we're trying to show them the truth so that they can be saved. And they, at that point, become a soldier of Jesus Christ on the, ba- on the side of the battle lines that Satan doesn't want them on, doesn't it? They're on his side. Uh, they're on, on his side of the battle front at that point, and he doesn't like that at all. So it is a weapon. Uh, so uh, it's, a, it's an apt description of itself when Scripture said, refers to itself as a sword. Another thing that uh, Scripture uses, it uses reference to precious metals. Again, you don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read you some verses. Uh, Psalm 19.10 refers to the Scripture. This is another uh, familiar verse, I think. It's, as being more desired are they, that is, they referring to God's law, His commandments, His statutes, His judgments. It says, they are more to be desired, or more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. God's Word is more precious to people who read it and study it and accept it than gold would be. Psalm 119, verse 127 says, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Again, it's speaking to the preciousness of, of God's Word. Psalm 12, verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. We talked about that, uh, I don't know, a week or two ago, about how uh, in you can purify these metals of silver. You can bring it to the me- to the boiling point or the melting point, and the impurities will rise to the top, and you just skim them right off the top. They just they just skim right off, and what you're left with is that pure silver. Well, that's what he says. It says you purify uh, silver seven times; it's going to be really pure. And he says God's word is better than that. It's better than fine gold. It's better than purified silver. So, scripture refers to itself as these things. I think because of its desirability. People want the Word of God when they see what it has to offer them. Even lost people, when they come to a realization of what that this is God's Word, they want it. They desire it, don't they? It's, uh, it's preciousness. It's beauty. The, the Word of God is beauty, isn't it? And when you read some of these words, now some of it's, uh, it tells us about things we don't, we don't want to think about sometimes, the ugliness of sin. But when you start reading in the Psalms especially, the poetic books, the, the Proverbs, you can see the beauty of Scripture. And when you, re- when you read the words that Jesus had to say to people who were, uh, they were sick, they were, uh, had been cast aside, they were people that no one cared about, and you see the, the care, the love that he showed to them, those are beautiful words, aren't they? They're, they're words to be desired. They're, they're words of value to us. Uh, they, they, we can say with all assurance they are invaluable to us as Christians because if we didn't have these words, we'd be a miserable people, wouldn't we? And so uh, the scripture refers to itself as, as precious metals. Uh, the next thing that uh, food, uh, the scripture refers to, it's to itself as is food. Or we might say nourishment. And I think it's called that because of the strength that we derive from the scriptures. It's like eating a, a good meal. It gives us strength to go on. And so uh, it's referred to as uh, food for the church. John 21 in verses 15 through 17, Jesus was walking along. You may re- remember this. It was after he was uh, resurrected. He was walking along the shoreline uh, with uh, the Sea of Galilee with uh, Peter. And he asked Peter, he said, Peter, you love me? do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And this conversation was repeated three times. And every time, Peter would say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He would say, then feed my lambs. And then twice he said, feed my sheep. What was he going to feed them? 
the Word of God. He says, you need to preach to, to my, my lambs, my, the members of my flock, by the, the members of the church. You need to feed them with the Word of God. Acts 20 and verse 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. This is the Apostle Paul uh, speaking to the elders in the church of Ephesus at this point. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Again, not only um, was Peter to feed, he was talking to these elders, these preachers there in Ephesus. You need to feed the word, the, the flock of God. Feed them from the Word of God. So, uh, Scripture refers to itself as food for the church. It refers to itself at one point as milk. First Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Babies need milk, don't they? Uh, they can't chew food. And, and a young Christian... Uh, you could give them some serious doctrine, but they can't quite chew that. They don't have the teeth to chew it yet. And so we, we bring a new Christian, a young Christian, into the Word slowly. We give them things that, that, that are easier to, to digest, so to speak, things that are easier to understand. And then in Hebrews, if you want to turn there, Hebrews 5, and look at this, these verses. It's the Word of God is referred to as the meat. So it's going beyond... Um, the milk of the word is going to, to where it refers to as meat. Verse 12 of Hebrews 5. For when the time, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The writer to the Hebrews here is saying, you know, they're, they're, we're at a point now when you ought to be able to be teaching people. But you're still babes. You don't quite understand things. You, need, you, you still have to be fed the, the milk of the Word of God. And he's encouraging you. You need to grow up. Uh, mature a little bit. Maybe go back to the, the mirror of God's Word and look in it and see what it's telling you needs to change. And then you'll be able to handle the, the more difficult things of the Word of God, the more difficult passages. And then you'll, you'll reach a point where you can teach other people. That's, that's what we ought to be. As, as Christians, we want to be to a place where um, we can teach other people, don't we? How many, how many times have you had when someone comes up and they, they know that you go to church, they know you're a Christian, and they say, let me ask you something about the Bible. I read this in the Bible, I don't understand it. You ever had that happen? Yeah, it happens every now and then, doesn't it? And you want to be able to say, um, yeah, I understand what that means, and here's what it means, and be able to show it to them. I, I went to church with a, a gentleman many years ago, and he was, he was a godly man. I don't know if, uh, Rhonda, you and Kevin, do you ever remember Ed Riggins? And, um, yeah. Remember the name. That he was a godly man, and, and he worked with someone one time. And he came up and he asked him a question. He said, "You know, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find out for you." And he went. And he did research. He typed up a little paper, two or three pages, to give this person. He says, "Here's what I found out about your question." That's the kind of person we want to be, isn't it? Someone who, if even if we don't know the answer, if someone asks, we want to be able to find the answer for him if at all possible. And so that's what he's talking about here. You need to be looking for the meat or becoming people who can handle the meat of the Word, not just the milk of it. And then to go beyond just the, the, the idea of it being food and it gives us nourishment and all that, there's a, there's a, it goes a little bit better, Scripture and food, and it refers to 
uh, the scripture is honey. Psalm 19.10, read that before. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So it's not just um, food for us to, to nourish us, but it's food for us that's pleasant too. You know, we can live off of peanut butter sandwiches, can't we? But it's nice to have some cobbler every now and then, isn't it? It's nice to have a little bit of honey to go with, with the, the, the more serious stuff. And that's what God's Word is to us. Another uh, description that Scripture has of itself, it refers to itself as a hammer. And this is kind of an obscure passage. You don't have to turn here, but it's in Jeremiah's prophecy. Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine says, Is not my word like as a fire? saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Jeremiah 23, if you look at that chapter, it's, it's a very scathing uh, reproach to the false prophets in the land of Judah at this time. God was, uh, he had some serious things to say about these prophets. They were the people who, prophets were the ones who were supposed to be carrying God's word to the people. But he said, they caused my people Israel to err. These false prophets were they weren't telling uh, the, the people of Judah what they needed to hear. They were telling them what they wanted to hear. And they were causing them to, to go off the right path. In verse 14 he says, they, referring to these prophets again, these false prophets, they commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers. And he says, none of them, or none doth return from his wickedness. That's a scathing accusation against prophets, isn't it? They're not my prophets. They're not, they're not telling people what I want them to hear. Verse 25, he says, they prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. God's saying, they may be dreaming something, but it's not what I'm telling them. And the message they're giving these people are not the ones I'm giving. And then he comes up, or after, after all of this, he says, my word is like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. These false prophets, they had hardened the hearts of the people of Judah because they were believing the lies instead of believing God's word. And the Lord says, my word, not the false prophet's word, but my word is like a hammer that will break those hard hearts in pieces. And it will shatter that hardness so that uh, the, the true word can come in. So God's word, it's called a hammer because it can break through hearts that are hardened with the wrong things. Hearts that are hardened against his message of repentance and faith. I think that's a good analogy. But what else can you do with a hammer? You can build things with a hammer, can't you? In uh, the first chapter of Jeremiah's prophecy, long before these those words that I just read were shared, the Lord had this to say to Jeremiah. He said, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down. You're gonna, I'm going to give you my word as a hammer to tear down the things that need to be torn apart. And then he says, To build and to plant. The Word of God is also a hammer that can be used to build things back the way they ought to be. And that's the, that's the word that the Lord was giving to Jeremiah. He said, look, there's these false prophets out here. They're causing these hearts to be hardened. I'm going to give you my word. It's going to be a hammer. And you can break those defenses. You can break those hardened hearts. And then you can use my word as a hammer to rebuild and to give these people the word they need to hear, a word of repentance, a word uh, that will bring them back to me. So God's word is referred to as a hammer. The last one we'll look at this morning, uh, it's referred to, Scripture's referred to as a fire. And I think for several reasons. One is, it warms our hearts, doesn't it? When we read the Scriptures, it warms our hearts to remind us of who we are in Christ. 
and to stir us to action for Christ. It also reminds us of who we used to be. And that's, a, that's some cold facts, isn't it? But then it warms us up to say, I'm not that anymore. I'm not the person I used to be anymore. I'm a Christian now. I've been born again. I'm a, I'm a child of God. So it warms our hearts. It purifies us, just like purifying silver to, to remove the dross. God's Word purifies us too. And sometimes He'll take us through some, some heat to, to burn the dross off on it. Won't he? And it also it consumes uh, as a fire. God's uh, word consumes the unfruitful branches that the Holy Spirit prunes all away from us. Because that's what if you if you want a tree to grow well, you prune it, don't you? If you want uh, even garden plants, sometimes you might want to pluck off a, a bloom here and there just so that the other blooms will produce more fruit. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And then He'll take up what He's the Word of God as we read it and we study it. It just burns away all that stuff that the Holy Spirit's pruned away from us. So it does. It does act like a fire, doesn't it? I like the idea that the Scriptures use these common terms because uh, deep theological terms we might not understand, but we understand things like a mirror and uh, food and a hammer and uh, a lamp and a sword and precious metals and that sort of thing. We understand those terms intuitively, don't we? And it all comes back to, we said that, that God had chosen in earlier lessons, God had chosen to speak to us through His Word. And when He did that, He chose to use terms that it's easy for us to understand. We don't have to worry about when we read this book thinking, that's... Ah, I mean, think about it. You pick that up for the first time and you think, how in the world could I ever read that? How in the world could I ever know what all that, that's in there? But we can, and and it's it's given to us in words that make sense, and I'm thankful for that. So I hope this has been helpful. Let's pray, Father. Thank you again for allowing us to look into your Word. Thank you for preserving your Word for us, and thank you, Lord, that when you when you moved men to record the Scriptures, not only did you uh, uh, allow it to be recorded in a way that it didn't have errors, not only did you allow it to be recorded in a way that would uh, and protect it so that it would come to us, but you let it come to us in, in language that we can understand, and you use common terms that uh, we don't have to worry about misunderstanding. We thank you so much for that, and we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word of God to us so that we can, we can read it and we can know what it has for us. And Father, we can look into it as though we were gazing into a mirror, and we can see uh, from that what, uh, what we really are and what we ought to be in light of your word and we thank you for that we pray that uh, your word might change us as we read it as we study it and, and commit it to memory thank you for allowing us to look at it this morning we pray father for the 11 o'clock service we ask you to to bless us uh, during that service meet with us in a special way and we ask it in jesus name amen